Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. But we're going to be reading from Daniel chapter 4. It's going to appear on the screen, but if you want to get your Bibles uh, and follow it along, you'd be very welcome to. So it's Daniel chapter 4. To the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians and hunters, astrologers and divine came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods in him. I said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals along the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now about Shazar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. 
your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it. But leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field, while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the degree the most high is issued against my lord, the king. You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then that your pr prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what has been decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honour and splendour were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisers and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exult and glorify the King of Heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Hi guys. Um, yeah, so I know it's a long passage and for anyone who wants to get into like a communications career, um, you can learn from that passage because it repeats itself about five times. Um, but each time we get a new layer uh, on what was, what was said before. Um, so uh, this passage starts at the end. That's the first thing uh, to realise. The first three verses are written by um, King Neb um, kind of as a summary before he goes through. So we're just going to skip over that bit uh, and come back to it at the end. Um, king Nebuchadnezzar is king of Babylon. Uh, it's an empire that rules uh, huge swathes of the Middle East, uh, including Israel at this point. Um, uh, from time to time, the king has these dreams uh, that he feels are significant. And so he asks his magicians, uh, of who I think uh, Daniel is now the chief, uh, to interpret them for him. Um, this passage describes one of those uh, times. Um, uh, king Neb has had this dream uh, that he's found greatly upsetting. Um, so what was in the dream? So he sees this big tree uh, and it reaches heaven. Its roots are huge. Uh, all of the birds of the air uh, are nesting in its branches and the beast finds shade under it. It's visible to the very ends of the earth. Um, 
When we're studying these uh, really metaphorical uh, passages in scripture, particularly dreams and prophecies, um, uh, we do well to look for echoes of other stories. Um, some of you uh, might have these little notes in the margin of your, of your Bible that list where similar phrases or, or where it's referencing other, other passages. Or sometimes it, it just reminds you of something. Um, so one connection you might have noticed is that there's a promised heavenly kingdom in Daniel 2 that's this mountain that fills the whole earth. Uh, and this tree is visible to the very ends of the earth. Um, uh, the astute amongst you might make a connection between this tree uh, that's described and the kingdom of heaven uh, that Jesus describes as a large tree that grows from mustard seed. Uh, and Jesus says about that kingdom uh, that all the birds make their nests in its branches. So all over scripture, um, trees become this symbol uh, of life, dominion and authority. Uh, indeed, um, we've seen a couple of verses time uh, that Daniel confirms uh, Nebuchadnezzar is the tree. Uh, his greatness has grown to reach the heavens and his authority uh, stretches to the very ends of the earth. So if the dream had ended at this point, um, it seems like quite a complimentary dream. Um, Nebuchadnezzar might have woken up feeling pretty good, um, but we know that he wakes up um, feeling terrified. In verse 16, we see heaven announcing its authority to take away. Um, the tree is cut down. So his greatness is taken away. The branches are trimmed. His authority gets diminished. The leaves are stripped. Even his beauty is removed. And the fruit is scattered. So all of his wealth is lost. In short, everything that was good and impressive about this tree is taken away at the command of heaven. But that's not all. Uh, at the same time as Neb loses his treeness, uh, he also loses his humanness. Uh, he's going to become like a beast of the field and eat grass like an ox. Um, he's told he's going to have hair like an eagle's feathers and with his nails become like, like talons. Um, and in the Bible, there's this connection between um, being like a tree and being like a human uh, that's really interesting. Uh, and so I want to come back to that later, but just remember it here. Um, we see with Neb's tree that there is some hope. Um, heaven has decided that a, a stump is going to be left in the ground. Um, this image of a tree being cut down to its stump is not rare in Scripture. Um, it crops up all over the place. Uh, in Isaiah 11, uh, the prophet talks about the house of David as a felled tree um, from which this new shoot is promised. Um, in Ezekiel 31, the Bible talks about Syria using similar language. Um, it's a big, great tree, and again, in that case, heaven has decided it's time to give it the chop. Uh, in both Ezekiel 31 and Daniel 4, um, God's messenger is helpfully explicit about why um, these trees are being chopped down. Uh, in verse 17 that we've just read, uh, the messenger says um, that it's happening so that every living thing may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of people. Daniel goes on to repeat the point in even stronger terms. Uh, in verse 25, he says that he will be like this beast of the field until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. So, it's not like the point of this dream is hidden deeply in the text. Um, it's fairly explicit. You see, Neb was the big dog of the civilized world. He ruled basically everything. And he has this obviously good opinion of himself. Uh, at the start of this passage, he introduces his story with the phrase, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was resting in my palace, content and prosperous. Uh, in Daniel 3, he makes a gold statue of himself and commands the whole world to bow down to it. He obviously had this ego on him. But if you look in Daniel 1, who gave Nebuchadnezzar authority over Judah? 
Nebuchadnezzar, uh, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. This is uh, Daniel 1, verse 1. And the Lord delivered Joachim, king of Judah, into his hand. You see, the Lord here is taking away, but it was also the Lord who gave uh, that authority in the first place. The thing about trees is that they can't do very much on their own. A tree that has no soil, no water, and no sun is not going to be a very effective tree. Um, they must be planted and provided for, or they won't exist at all. All authority uh, on earth comes from God. That's the, that's the key here. Um, that authority is given for God to achieve God's purposes. So all kingdoms, rulers, kings, prime ministers, presidents, secretaries, general, all are trees in God's garden, planted, watered, and lit by him, and growing at his pleasure. Neb clearly thinks it's all that. But as the angel said, the Lord gives power to anyone he wishes and sets the lowliest in authority. Neb didn't get the memo, which is really something when you consider just how explicit that memo was. Twelve months later, he's stalking around his garden that he's built with his wealth and power and might. And what does he say? In verse 30, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The man couldn't say he wasn't warned. Neb thinks he's self-made. He thinks that his success is a reflection of his ability or value or his moral character. He thinks this is about his greatness and his majesty. But God has a very different perspective. God gives power to whoever he wishes, and he puts the lowest in authority. King Neb's success is actually a result of God's greatness and God's majesty. So just as a gardener might plant a tree in an orchard for a purpose, and as soon as that purpose is better served by the tree not being there, the tree is removed, so God plants authority for a purpose. And as soon as that purpose is better fulfilled without the authority, the authority is removed. We can see God's purposes, uh, and they're laid out for us in this passage very clearly. And Babylon's dominion has fed the people. You know, this tree was producing enough fruit for everyone to eat. It's provided safe homes. It's provided shade and shelter from political upheaval. Even so, we see in Daniel's recommendations uh, that Nebuchadnezzar's rule has not been the full picture of godly authority. He's sinned and he's been unkind to the oppressed. Uh, no human authority is perfect. And yet still this passage and God's word in general is emphatic. All human authority is given by God for its season and for a purpose. We're living through what feels like this very revolutionary time. Uh, I can't remember a time when it was so in vogue uh, to question the very premise of government's authority. And yet here we are. Uh, this might be a correction for some of us, or it might be an opportunity for us to reflect and learn and learn wisdom. Now, as with many things, God's wisdom is revealed through creation as well as scripture. So to press on this a little bit, um, even amongst the most horrific of regimes, it's clear to see that sometimes it was better when the regime was in power um, than when it wasn't. I mean, that isn't always the case. And we can see here that God does remove authorities as well as plant them. But if we think about Syria, Libya, Iraq, Afghanistan, can we be sure that the lives of the poor and the oppressed uh, in those countries are better now than they were before? Were they not better fed and sheltered under their old governments? China's behavior at the moment is very concerning. And yet it's a human authority instituted by God for this season. Who's to say that there's not a purpose at work behind that government? You know, it might be that the stability, shelter, and food provided by that regime 
is currently incubating the very move, movement that will liberate uh, the Uyghur Muslims um, from their horrific uh, treatment. But without laboring this too much, because God does remove government as well as establish, because because God does remove government as well as establish it, and we can see in this passage that another purpose was also at work. Sure, one purpose of God was to feed the people and provide them shelter, but another was for all the living to know that God reigns all kingdoms. At some points in Nev's rule, heaven decided that the value of the stability and the food his reign was providing had become offset by the bad treatment of the oppressed and by the message that he was communicating that he reigned rather than God. Heaven determined uh, that the best action now was to remove the king so that all of his kingdom would know who the real king actually was. God's judgment, and this is an example of judgment because judgment is about establishing justice, uh, is swift. Even as the words are on his lips, he's driven away from the people and ends up living with the wild animals. So there's an obvious uh, warning here for all of those in leadership. Now, all authority is given by God for a purpose. And similarly, all authority can be taken away by God, also for his purpose. So last time I spoke, I shared with you guys about God's authority over nature. And this time we're talking about God's authority over human authority. Uh, just with Nebuchadnezzar, all human authority is planted, nurtured, sustained, and ultimately destroyed um, by our Heavenly Father. Every empire owes its greatness to him. They are given authority to provide shelter, shade, and food. They provide stability and safety through exercising judgment. Government provides a structure in which human life can flourish, even bad government. And government is also a tool that God uses to achieve his purposes, even bad government. Would Jacob's sons ever have become a great nation if they hadn't lived for centuries under the protection of another kingdom, Egypt? Or again, would the people of Israel have become a great nation if they had remained comfortably protected under Egyptian rule in Goshen? The authority of Pharaoh was given by God to achieve his purpose, both the authority to protect the Israelites and the authority that oppressed them. So apart from difficult questions about China or 1930s Germany, where does this teaching leave us? Is it all a bit academic, a bit theoretical? Very few of us are ever going to be the ruler of a continent-spanning empire, more's the pity. So how does this apply to us? Uh, you might remember earlier, I noted that at the same time Neb loses his treeness, he also loses his humanness. Uh, his mind is gone, his civilized habits are gone, he doesn't cook, he doesn't use tools. In many ways, he takes on the appearance of an animal. Now, in the Bible, after God and people, trees are the most talked about topic. And humans and trees share this fascinating connection. Um, Genesis 1 is a poem about God's ordering of creation. Uh, and a lot of what's happening in this poem is the author categorizing things um, to help God's people think about creation the way God does. So if all of creation is, uh, is this kind of diagram designed to display God to us, uh, then Genesis 1 is like a key to that diagram. Um, so on day one, time is split into day and night. On day two, the waters are split into sea and sky. On day three, two things happen. The land gets split from the sea and God causes trees and seed-bearing plants to come up from the ground. Those are the first three days. On day four, the sun and stars are formed to have dominion over the times and seasons that were split in day one. On day five, the birds and the fish are formed to fill the seas in the sky that were made on day two. On day six, again, two things happen. 
animals are made to fill the land that was made on day three, and humans are made in God's image to rule over the animals that were made. Do you see that there's this kind of a pattern here? Day three and six form like this, um, this like rhyming couplet. Uh, humans on day six are in the same position as trees on day three. Um, in both day three and day six, the second thing that happens is very different to all the other things that have happened in that set of three days. It's something special. And the link doesn't, the link doesn't stop there. When you get to Genesis 2, in Hebrew, uh, God's forming of Adam from the earth is wait, uh, min adamah, and it rhymes with God's causing the sprouting of trees, which is wait, maka min adamah. So there's something that the Bible is trying to say that there's, an, there's some imagery bound up in trees that is supposed to apply uh, to humans and vice versa. And I'm not just uh, making this up. Uh, the biblical authors continue this connection all the way through. Uh, in Psalm 92, verse 12 to 14, um, the righteous flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, plants in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age and they will still stay fresh and green. Or Isaiah 44, uh, I will pour out my spirit on your seed and my blessing on your seed. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. This metaphor is something that's clear and repeated. Uh, humans are supposed to be like trees that God, God waters and sustains by his spirit. In Psalm 92, the righteous person is described as being like a tree planted in the house of God. So God's house is where he lived, which is it's like Eden. So what Psalm 92 is saying is that the righteous person is like a tree planted back in Eden, which is like what Adam was before, uh, before the fall. I'm aware that this sort of thing can sound a bit like you know, the Bible code, where they take letters and they work out that it's predicted 9-11 or something silly. Um, but there are some really good reasons uh, for this connection. Um, tree worship in the ancient Middle East was a big deal. And to understand why, I want you to imagine what it was like to live in these very arid places as a subsistence farmer. So the rain only falls on the hills, it doesn't fall in the valleys. And on the hills without trees, there's nothing to hold the soil in place. So all of those nutrients get washed away. And so a lot of the hilltops are just barren. But the hilltops with trees have a lot of life. Because on, high, because on those high places, there are big tree roots uh, trapping the soil and the water, other plants can grow. And because other plants are growing, there's food for animals and humans. Uh, because there are trees there, it's safe for birds to nest, because obviously on the ground they get eaten. These trees provide shelter from the sun and the wind. If you can imagine that world, you can see why the ancient Middle, you can see why to the ancient Middle Eastern human, trees in high places are a big deal. It's where all the life was. If you get caught, uh, caught out too far away from a tree on a high place, uh, it doesn't end well for you. And it's into that environment that Genesis 1 is written. What is Eden? It's this garden full of trees, beautiful to look at and good for food. But we're also told that all of the rivers start in Eden, which means it's also on a mountain. So Genesis 1 starts by telling these ancient Middle Easterners, um, this thing that you worship, a tree on a high place, God made that. And it goes on to talk about how humans are supposed to be like trees in high places. We're supposed to subdue the earth so that life can flourish. Our job was to provide homes for birds and food for animals and shelter from the sun. Yeah, don't worship trees in high places because you're better than trees in high places. And then what are Israel repeatedly chastised for doing during the Old Testament? Um, it's described as setting up Asherah poles. Um, now, an Asherah pole was a wooden pillar, sometimes in the, made to look like an acorn tree, uh, acorn tree, almond tree, and sometimes with a picture of a woman on top of it. 
and they stick it on the top of a mountain, and then they worship it and pray for rain, food, and shelter. And what are those people doing? They're constructing these fake trees on hilltops, uh, fake Edens. But God's already told us how to be like a tree in a high place and how to be like Eden. And Psalm 1, 1 to 3 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Your effectiveness at being a good tree is entirely dependent on being correctly rooted. A tree with no roots is not going to produce fruit or provide shade or shelter to anyone. The slightest breeze and it's going sideways. The blessed one in Psalm 1 is delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating on it day and night. He's literally sitting in God's word and absorbing its nutrients, just like a tree does in fertile ground. So the point I'm making is this image of a tree that was applied to Nebuchadnezzar and his rule of Babylon also maps to us in our lives. We're all humans to whom God has said, rule the earth and subdue it. No matter what sort of tree you become, whether God gives you dominion over a country that reaches the ends of the earth, or dominion over a bedroom in a small flat, remember that all dominion comes from God and is given so that you would bear good fruit, provide shade, home and shelter, and display God's image to all the living. Nebuchadnezzar's warning is a warning for us as well. So how do we ensure that we bear good fruit and in so doing produce this successful mini Eden around us so that around us life can flourish? Jesus gives us a couple of helpful parables. Uh, in John 15, uh, Jesus talks about how he is the vine and his father is the gardener and we are the branches and that we're supposed to stay uh, connected to him. Um, we're told in that story that the gardener prunes the branches that are fruitful um, and throws away the branches that aren't fruitful. It's all about producing fruit in us. So the first thing to notice uh, from that story is that God himself is working on you to ensure that you are fruitful. He prunes every branch that does bear fruit so that it will be even more fruitful. You're not responsible for bearing this fruit on your own. Your role is not to uproot yourself and stay connected to Jesus and allow the gardener to reshape you. Uh, Jesus in that parable helpfully goes on to explain how we can stay connected to him. And it's by obeying his commandments and loving one another. But whenever I read passages like that, I become instantly anxious that I'm one of the branches that isn't producing fruit and is on its way to the bonfire. So I start trying to count the fruit I, I think I've produced to see if it's enough. If you're like me and that's one of your concerns, I want to finish with one other story. And this time it's from Luke 13. Uh, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I can't find any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So in this story, God is the vineyard owner. Jesus is the vine dresser and you are the tree producing no fruit. Look at what Jesus' role is in this story. He's pleading on your behalf. He's convincing the vineyard owner, God the Father, to let him put extra work into you to make you fruitful. You are not on your own. Also notice what the work that he's going to put in actually is. Jesus is offering to dig out the roots and cover them in manure. In other words, he's offering to expose your hidden bits and cover them in crap. 
So beyond loving Jesus and keeping his commandments, it's also good for us to welcome the exposure of our weaknesses and welcome suffering because they're there to produce fruit. Like with Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4, everything God does is to do good. As it was promised, as soon as Nebuchadnezzar had honoured God as king, his kingdom was restored to him, and it was even mightier than before. Even Nebuchadnezzar, the king who made a gold statue of himself after seven years of suffering, recognises the value of those experiences and the good they brought. I hope that whatever happens, we can say with Nebuchadnezzar, whether we're one of those branches that is proven to be more fruitful, or whether we're a tree that gets exposed and covered in poo, I hope we can say, now I praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right, and all of his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Uh, Lambert is going to lead us now in worshipping the King of Heaven, uh, who reigns and is able to humble the proud.